Okay. There you are. Thank you very much. No problem. It's very good to see you, bud, buddy. You too, man. I want you to, you know, let's run it from the start. What's your story? How did you get into what you're doing? <laughs> uh, like uh, the stand-up? Give me the whole timeline here. Yeah, stand-up. So what were you doing before and the transition over? What happened? Uh, yeah, okay. It's a, it's a crazy story. So, well, not crazy. It's a story. <laughs> I, uh, so I've got a day job that I don't talk about. <laughs> It's, well, which is a rule in stand-up, like a lot of confidentiality, like kind of. That's part of it, but also, um, it's kind of like a newbie mistake to talk about your day job in stand-up right. because it takes people, it makes people, the crowd think less of you. They think like, oh, this is just your hobby. You're not really a real comic, so you can talk about your job. Just talk about it as something you used to do. Don't talk about it as something you're doing. Cause then people don't take you as seriously. Gotcha. Um, so I never talk about my, my job on stage anyway. Um, but yeah. Okay. So but before that, in terms of like what I was doing with my spare time uh, was I was a Christian praise and worship guitar player for like almost oh. 20 years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I was like, I had like 10 guitars, the craziest pedal board you've ever seen, like crazy amp setups and stuff like that. Like I was like a full on like gearhead, uh, when it came to, to music, I was doing it by Canadian standards at a, at a pretty high level. Like I played, were you music and then Christian or were you Christian and then music? Uh, I wasn't raised Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I came, I came come from like a non-christian home uh and i started i picked up uh bass when i was like 12 13 years old uh so i was definitely music before i started doing church stuff and then uh, i became a christian after doing 10 grams of magic mushrooms Uh so like after i tell people that they're like okay you earned it (laughs) you came into Uh, contact with god yeah that's right man it's uh yeah haven't we all it's a it's a humbling experience. Uh, really so yeah, is. so yeah, so I was doing I was doing that, but then there's something about music that like never quite fit. Like uh, I never loved it enough to practice to get to where I wanted to be as a player. Um, even though right. I was like I said, doing it at a, at a pretty professional level. Um, but like Were I was always a... music or reciting others. Music? No, that's the thing. Like when you're in a yeah. like a Christian band, you're pretty much just a cover band. And yeah, so like I never baby Jesus baby. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, right? And so like I I wanted to write music, but I never. I felt like is it's weird. It doesn't it doesn't sound weird to say now, but back then it did. But like I never felt like I had anything to say unless it was funny. Ah, uh, so like you just even the chime in when it was really clever. Well, yeah, like I was, even before I started doing comedy, I always was the funny guy. Like in every given situation, I was always thinking of where the joke was. Class clown? Yeah, definitely. Like even when I was eight, I was, uh, we had like the job fair or whatever, like pick your career or whatever. And I said comedian. Oh, nice. Like they didn't, they didn't know what group to put me in. Right. So like, uh, I'm probably a fair bit older than you. Um, but like when I was 12, that was 1994 mm-hmm. and that was the year that Jim Carrey, like really blew up. So like Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask all came out in that one year. And he was like my hero, you know, he's right, from, yeah. um, he's from, uh, the, he's Somewhere from Newmarket, Ontario, if I, right? if you ever call yeah. in Ontario. Right. So like, he was like my hero. He was like, oh, there's a person who like, is like me. 
there's a person who like I like because I was never into sports. I was never into like all the classic stuff. I was like I was like a goof, and there mm-hmm. was never a place for a goof in in the world except, until I right. I saw him. Mike My- Michael Myers Michael Myers to a degree because he was in a movie called Like So I Married an Axe Murderer and stuff. So like I was obsessed with doing funny voices and accents and and things like that. And nice. Um, when I was in high school, I was like a theater kid. Like I was the lead in almost every play, and like I actually uh-huh. got into university for theater. Um, so like, that's who I was, but I kind of went the music route instead, um, and kind of like gave that up for, for a time. Um, so, uh, how I got started in, in standup was I was, um, depressed for like a year going in to the pandemic. And like, I knew that something needed to change and I had no idea what it was. And like, I was, a, uh, and then in uh, April, 2021, uh, funnily enough, I was watching uh, the Jim and Andy documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's about Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman. Um, and there's this part in the movie where he uh, where Jim Carrey's talking about his father, and he's saying how his father was a really really funny guy and a great musician, but had cold feet when it came to moving to the U.S. and doing it more seriously. So he took the safe route, became an accountant, uh, and then at 55 he got laid off. And so he's got this line that I'll, I'll never forget, which was that you can fail at what you don't. I saw that you can fail at what you don't love. So you might as well do what you love. So there's right. no other choice to be made. So I was like, okay, I, I, it just dawned on me, like read that, like, I, ha- I have to do this. That's awesome. Like, I, yeah. Like I have to do this. The next day I started writing jokes. I emailed my church to say that I was stepping down from all forms of music. Like I, I knew that I couldn't half-ass it. So I sold, like, I owned like 10 guitars. I sold everything. I sold my pedal board. I sold my amps. I sold every, yeah. every, I have the one guitar behind me and an acoustic guitar, and that's all I have. Um, wow. Yeah. I got rid of everything. Uh, and then I mentioned to this, uh, this lady that I work with that I wanted to try stand up, and she knew a guy named Danton Lamar, who's kind of like a, a mainstay in Toronto comedy. And, uh, and he brought me out to the first, like, it was the first show in the whole city during COVID. It was like an illegal backyard, like mm-hmm. comedy show. And like, that was my, my first gig. He said like, there's no pressure if you want to go. And like, I went up and I did like seven minutes and I did like pretty well. And like, I was, yeah. hooked. I was just like, I want to perfect this. It's exhilarating. Isn't it? Like just, I, I mean, having all eyes on you and just, you know, really being ready. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's nerve wracking, but I feel at least for myself, it came really naturally. I feel like I have a good intuition for what's funny, and you know, I got my first kill in in terms of like killing performance wise after like at set nineteen. Uh, I count all my sets still. Set nineteen, wow. Yeah, it's at so nineteen. Like one through eighteen well. on bombs. No, no, I, I, I remember very well that 13 was a bomb. <laughs> I did this like crappy show, like this industrial area at Woodbridge, but, but even then I still had jokes that did okay. Like I, mm-hmm. I never, I've never had like crickets all the way through in any set. And it's a constant like trial and error. Like you pick your good jokes and move forward into like a really refined product is kind of what you want to do. Yeah, it's writing, it's figuring out what it is that you want to like you're you're trying to get it as natural as possible. At least I am. Try to be like instantly I knew that I right. was a storyteller, that I was reasonably high mm-hmm. energy and I wanted to take people for a ride. I didn't want to be like set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline. Like I knew that that's what like 
that's what amateur comics do or low energy comics do. I wanted to be mm-hmm. somebody who like could just talk like you were talking to a funny person. Yeah. Like you've got that when you've got that next part too. Yeah. Everything flows into one part. And I'm not saying that I'm like the best at that because I still have things that don't work on stage where people don't laugh at it. And like, I'm, I'm trying to be more consistent, but yeah. So right now I'm a year and just over three months in. Right. And when you first jumped in, were you just kind of going on the fly or did you have to come in with something really for fun? I write, I write everything. I, yeah, there's yeah. very little that I ad lib on stage. I write, I write very meticulously and, and uh-huh. I try to be very, like, I want to know where my, my setups and my punchlines are. Cause, um, I was reading this one thing about comedy writing where it's like the way that you write is in not, I don't write in sentence form. I write in bullets and like every uh-huh. bullet is basically when I take a breath and I'm trying to make sure that I am getting a laugh. no, less than every three bullets right yeah there's a so time it'd be like line sure. line laugh line line laugh laugh line line laugh laugh like tag like adding tags or something like that but you want i want to make sure that method of writing ensures that i have funny consistently throughout because mm-hmm. uh, what i notice a lot of comics do is they will do these crazy long setups that don't lead to a joke that is worth it at the end yeah gotcha and so like do you find you you come up with your best material like actually when you're just like you're sitting down trying to do it or are you just on a walk and something funny happens and you know it's uh it's both like sometimes i'll be sitting at the computer and like definitely there's are jokes that i are i would consider some of my best that were crafted you know kind of out of nowhere or like i just had an idea and sometimes it'll just like sometimes something will just come to me and like the bones of it will will almost instantaneously appear and right. then it's just about like molding it into something that's more cohesive and like good throughout mm-hmm. like editing mm-hmm. it into something that's more consistent yeah and then do you collaborate with kind of other guys like yes yeah. yeah i um early on there was a guy that I, I i met i think it was after my seventh or tenth i can't remember pretty early on there's a guy who i i met and we like gigged together for for months and like did our own open mic and, and things like that. And so we were constantly giving each other feedback. And then um, when we got, Toronto got relocked down at the beginning of this year, like in January, 2022, there was nothing. So I, I created a zoom group with some comics who like, I knew were at a certain, not so bad that they couldn't yeah. contribute anything, but not so good that they were too good <laughs> to be, uh-huh. to be in it, if that makes sense. And so like yeah. guys that I trusted who could like, and so we would help each other with joke writing. And I, I, I did one of those yesterday with another comic, because sometimes I find just working with somebody who's a good writer is far more effective than going to an open mic. That's full of comics who are just waiting their turn to get on. Yeah, actually like, so you found him at an open mic or, and like, yeah, also, it was like, just, Sorry, did you go like looking just to get on amateur nights to start with? Is that what you did one through 18? Yeah, well, it's it's it, it's everything. It's a constant hustle. So like the your amateur nights are like open mics or places where anybody can go. So there are there are good and bad open mics where because the purpose of the open mic is for one new people to like see if they want to do this, but for an experienced comic it's a place to like try out material. It's like, is this going to work or is this not going to work? Right. Um, so 
so that's that's what I use them for is to t- to test material, and then you're also finding the people who put on shows and asking them if you can be on it, right? And then sometimes, mm-hmm. especially when you're new, the answer is usually no, or well, you're on the list or something like that. And then, uh, but eventually you get lucky and you start to prove yourself in front of the right people, and you start to get more opportunities. Right. But in those yeah. ones, you're not testing material; you're usually like doing the the good stuff. True. And then you think being like a Christian mus- musician, you repress this dark energy that you're now channeling into your comedy? To a degree, but I could never keep it in forever because like, be- oh, no. because I became a Christian like like late in life and like at the age of 18, uh, I was never cultured Christian. I was always a fish out of water in the Christian world, if that makes right. sense. Like I was never, like I'm not a clean comic. Not to say that I'm like a dirty comic no, either, but you- like I'll but I'll use like swear words for punctuation and, and exclamation and things like that. Like I wouldn't say that my material is gross, but I wouldn't call it clean either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, but I'm trying to be my most authentic self. And so Jeez. that's I like, that's who I am on and off the stage. Yeah. Do and that's who like, I was when uh, I was in church too. Yeah. Do you feel like church and religion in general, especially Christianity is just a successful cult just really took over pyramid scheme style um i don't think so because i i I, to me like if the claim is that jesus is the guy who like rose from the dead would you expect him to be anything less than the most famous person who ever lived hell no maybe smaller than the beatles but that's about (laughs) it right like um because i feel like like the the big indications of cults is uh there's like three big things uh one is there's always something weird about sex really always there's almost always there's almost always some sort of control when it comes to sex there's always something some sort of control about money and there's always some form of uh, excommunication like either getting you as the cult member to cut yourself off from the rest of your family or if you leave the cult you're cut off from them forever too uh like oh. what you would call excommunication so these those are very common practices with, within what you would call cults. So they need loyalty totally or whatever they need loyalty and 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 by submitting yourself like sexually and financially they they have like the the core of your labor and your time and your you know they have you if they have those things <laughs> Wow. Would right. You and so and I, Scientology to be a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have a sexual prowess over people? I don't know if they, I don't know if they have like, well, they definitely have sexual abuse the way that a lot of other, I don't think they have a lot of stuff when it has, when it comes to sex other. Well, yeah, actually they do because they actually try to prevent their members from having children because children oh, are just, like, if you're a sea org member, they'll, they, they do forced abortions. They try to prevent you from having children because they're a distraction from being, a full-time servant to Scientology. Oh my God. Um, and then they control you. And if, if you are a Sea Org member, it means like you're basically like a, a slave to them. Yeah. Uh, and if you are a, a church of Scientology member, then you're, they are hustling you for as much money as possible. And they also yeah. practice excommunication. Well, then what's the selling point? How are these like, why is Tom Cruise a Scientologist? Well, it's different. I think for Tom Cruise, he gets he extracts a lot of benefit from it, right? He's the poster boy for uh-huh. the entire faith, right? So they they in essence work for him. He can, like if you're a Scientologist, you, you can do no wrong. And I'm just parroting all the stuff I've seen in Scientology documentaries and, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and then but I mean always... to be a, like 
Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I was, I was talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, one of them came to my door the other day and mm-hmm. they started talking and I gave them a few minutes and I was like, this just is just Christianity, but in your face, Christianity. Like I, well, growing up, I heard that they were all these crazies and they weren't to be trusted. I, w- I wouldn't say crazy, but like they practice excommunication. So like if you don't do the, do it the way that they think you should do it, you're gone. Um, they, and they have some w- weird beliefs. Uh, like they, they don't think that the, where they diverge from typical Christianity, uh, is that they don't believe that Jesus was God. Like Jesus said, I'm the son of God, stuff like that. They don't believe that he was actually God. Like they reject the concept of the Trinity. So uh-huh. like mainline Christianity, like a Catholic church or your average Protestant church, they don't consider Jehovah's witnesses to be Christian. Interesting. And then isn't the idea of a God just being existent, not being atheist, uh, there's some sort of higher divine being, wouldn't that kind of imply that whatever we're living in is, is some sort of simulation that they're controlling? So like it, in that sense, wouldn't you say we're living in a simulation? I wouldn't want to put a name on what it is because like, to, I feel like saying it's a simulation is saying it's not real. Right. But if like, how do you, what is know it's, like, our well, 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 exactly. Right. But like, we're clearly experiencing it, right? Like Descartes said, I think therefore I am. So whatever, whatever we're experiencing is real to us. So it's a simulation right. to by who's, what is it simulating? Mm-hmm. Well, right. Like, right. Yeah. If it, right? So that's the question. Like the, I think a lot of people like the idea of the simulation because it's like, Oh, if we're, because it's also, we, we live in a, in a universe that doesn't quite make sense. Absolutely. And, and it's also, and it's also clearly created, right? Like we've got a big bang, like we've got a beginning point. And I, I think that there are a lot of things that kind of indirectly point to a creator, but I think the sim people like simulation more because it's like, then you kind of delay, then you don't have to be a theist. Right. Um, but it, all it does is delay that one layer. Right, because if we're simulated, well, then who created the simul the the people and who are simulating who this reality? And so on, like right. Uh, so you right, we're about to start doing virtual reality like crazy too, and like where people are spending millions to get digital real estate. Like, what is happening there, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To yeah exactly. Like right, four million dollars to live beside Snoop Dogg in the metaverse. Yeah. yeah, like how often is Snoop in the metaverse? He's probably he's in the real world making money. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Yeah, oh, man, it's crazy. But like, what do you think? Uh, where do you think that's going? Like um, VR? Like, do you think that's really? Some people are scared. Like, it's the end. You know, people I think are it's just too, gonna be like. Wally. I think it's too soon to say and i think vr at least in the t- way that it exists now isn't going to ever be good enough to simulate like i think it, if we're if you're worried about like augmented or virtual reality i think the the thing that w- you would more want to be worrying about is like the elon musk Neuralink method like we're we're tapping into our brains directly to simulate some sort of reality but i think like in terms of like goggles and controls and like uh like the ready player one kind of scenario. I don't think that that's ever, anybody's ever going to really mistake that for being truly real. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a Neuralink is something you can't reverse. I think uh, when 
Elon Musk first like kind of announced it, they brought out a pig who had the implant removed and the pig was fine. Um, right. But, but it's, but the point being that it would be used, you could tap into your brain directly where it would be like you're experiencing a dream, right? Uh-huh. Like the reality you're experiencing is in your mind, but it's controlled by somebody else. Mm-hmm. I read this crazy stat and I don't even know if it's true because it sounds so ridiculous. It says that like 100 corporations are like 70% of greenhouse gas emissions and we're all like supposed to switch up our lifestyles when really it's just these 100 corporations. Um, the fuck? You're, I know you're a comedian. Give me a comment on climate change. <laughs> Well, I think that climate change is real, but I think like people need to be, I'm not like, <laughs> like I'm not being very funny, but like the, uh, I think that people, oops, bang my desk. I think that like, what is it? I think China and the U S are the biggest polluters. You know, like if I'm Canadian, I don't know where you are, but like Canada is very, yeah. It's like Canada is not a very big producer in terms of like emissions and things like that. So I think it's, you need to look at who's producing and then, then see if it can be controlled as well. Right. Because the other thing is, yeah, we want to stop that from happening, but also we have built a world or a world around like supply chain. Right. So you remove all these like crazy green people who want to like eliminate petroleum use today. Well, that means no more plastic. That means no more food being delivered. Right. So if you're in a place that's, you know, North of a certain point, of the equator well like there's no way to grow food like the like uh you know the indigenous when indigenous peoples before you know settlers got here were chronically malnutrition is how they knew how to cure scurvy with pine needles because they didn't have proper diets right so like producing food in where we live is extremely difficult unless it's imported from places where food grows year-round so unless you have a way to solve that problem well, every the entire world is going to move close to the equator where you can grow food all the time, and I don't think that that's really going to happen. So, unle- until we until we can get transportation at least figured out without petroleum, like I, I don't think that gas is going anywhere anytime soon. Hmm. And if and if you do, people do take those drastic kind of measures. Measures you're going to see energy crises, you're going to see food crises, and you're going to see issues across the board. Yeah. And would you fly away to Mars one day if you had the option? No, 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 no. no. Moving Mars is dumb. Mars, it's just like Like if you know. So I'm like a big. I'm well. It's not just that it's a desert. (laughs) Like I'm kind of like a space like junkie. So like the whole thing about Mars is that Mars used to have water on it, but Mars was doesn't have the mass as a planet itself to hold onto its atmosphere. The whole oh, no. reason why the sun isn't baking us alive is because we have an atmosphere that like filters it out. And like, that's what the Aurora Borealis is, is that it's rays from the sun going around the top and the bottom of the earth. Oh, right. Yeah. Because our atmosphere protects us. Mars doesn't have that, which means you will be radiated to death. So forget about the fact that you can't grow food there, that there's nothing to do or go or breathe. Wait, the, really? the radiation itself will destroy you. Oh, I like I know Elon Musk is saying something about shooting like this, the galaxy and creating some explosion, some artificial sun. But like, is that an absolutely needed for Mars? Like 
feel like they're speaking like it it's an actual like possibility in the next 20 years i think that i think that getting like to it. mars is important in terms of i just i don't know i feel like the the time the this the space like how big space is is unfathomably large yeah and so to think like okay we get to mars that's our launching off point to go to all these other places and it might very well be but i think that's going to be in places in our own solar system because we can't until we invent a way to travel faster there's no point what does mars offer us i don't know it's a good vacation spot maybe no (laughs) no it's not because it takes it will take you like how many months to get there and then you will need to build build stuff and you'll need to be able to breathe stuff like like I saw on um, that movie. Did you see that movie Ad Astra? I uh, know it? it's a great movie, by the way. You should watch it. But like, it's uh, it, they got this thing where Mars or the Moon has essentially become like a vacation spot. But it's still a vacation spot where you're indoors a hundred percent of the time, breathing recycled air. Yeah, you just got a nice view. Maybe you just it's just a, a nice view, and yeah, it's like what purpose would it serve going to Mars? I think. I think Elon Musk wants to get to Mars because it's the closest thing that we can get to that will be like a shooting off point to get to like Europa or Io or like all these other moons around Jupiter and predominantly Jupiter and Saturn. But there, right. and it's really just a search for more life. But in terms of like getting outside of our solar system to another solar system, well, those are light years away. No yeah. human can survive the trek there. So mm-hmm. getting, and as far as like living on Mars full time, and I think that that's going to be harder than we think, mainly because Mars isn't designed to support life. Right. Right. Like yeah. we are very tailored for where we live. Yeah. It's, it's almost like perfect. <laughs> like, yeah. Like engineered, but yeah, crazy stuff, man. What was that? It's kind of interesting to me how like our two uh, richest men are both fixated on getting off of this planet. Like they're like, let's like we did we did what we need to do. Let's get let's get. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I think like is it profit? Uh, well, Elon, well, Elon Musk, I think is very clear. He he has a goal of getting to Mars, and I think that he's using SpaceX yeah. in collaboration with NASA to and fund Branson that goal. And Jeff Bezos, he's bringing his brother, and he's got a giant penis that he launches into the yeah. sky. Well, I, th- I think I think that there is there through. is money there is money in it as it becomes cheaper to send people to space. Well, more and more people will spend money to go to for tourism. For that experience to yeah, for space tourism. I think that people will want to do that as it becomes cheaper and safer to do that. Um, but wouldn't it cost like two hundred grand? So like uh, the one percent in the world that can probably afford it um, might do it, and then that, like from there on, it's like okay, you've done it once, so you're gonna do it every year. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you? <laughs> I'm one of the, I'm one of those people when I go on vacation, like, I don't really save or anything. It's like, okay, I saw it, I'm good. Yeah, you know, like I just, you know, like, uh, what, what else is, is there? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the, I, I think Elon Musk is different. I feel like he has a very legitimate goal about making humans a, a space-faring species, and I, and he wants to get us out here so that you know, in the billions of years that it'll take before our sun explodes and devours the whole earth that he wants us off of it and you know well planted somewhere else that's more habitable and the and the beginning steps of doing that are getting us to mars Uh, why the other millionaires or billionaires are doing it i don't know maybe it's just a you know a dick measuring contest (laughs) do you think that 
If there are aliens on this planet, Elon Musk is one. No. No, no. I don't think so. He even said I'm not I even... on Joe Rogan, he's like, if they are if they do exist, they would already be here. And then like that was like all he said. I'm about like, it. <laughs> I I find the Fermi paradox pretty convincing. You know, like there uh-huh. there are there are astronomers who are searching the skies all the time who see absolutely nothing. Their whole right. lives, their whole careers, they see absolutely nothing. Um, and then, you know, you've got the thought of experiment of is, you know, we're a fairly new species relative to the age of the universe. So in all the time between us and the beginning of the universe, there's no alien species that created self-replicating probes that mm-hmm. went out into everything else. You know, I, where that's the question, the Fermi paradox, yeah. where are they? Where is everybody? Right. And, and like, I don't know if and it's, Sorry, keep on going. Keep on going. No, no, no. I, that, that's really all, all I had to yeah, say. And like, like I, I find it conv- like I, I, I feel like I'm kind of an outlier in this opinion, but I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if we are alone mm-hmm. in the universe. The only thing that gives me pause about that opinion are the whole recent phenomena of UAPs. UAVs? UAPs, like the, the unidentified aerial phenomena, what they change from uh-huh. UFOs, but like all this stuff that the, the Pentagon is releasing and Jeremy Corbell. Like those things give me pause, but if anything, the way that they travel suggests that there's nothing in them, mm-hmm. right? How fast they go would liquefy anybody who's actually inside those craft would suggest that there are probes of some kind. So where are they coming from? That's the, you know, right. some people think that they're inter, they're interdimensional. That's what I was about to right? talk so, to you but, about. You said you took okay, a lot yeah. of mushrooms once, right? You might be, you might've seen through the door. <laughs> Uh, like, no, I, you know, I mean, like, I there's a possibility that, I mean, I feel like it's been proven that there are more than three dimensions, like, and we're in the third dimension. Like, that's just a, a little detail people skip over. And that, <laughs> like, we're all atoms and atoms are open space and electrons oscillating. Like, um, I think it's been theorized that there could be more than 10 dimensions. Yeah. And uh, we're in right. Like, them, right? Yeah, so like we're you know that there there could be things beyond us, which is why I think it's interesting that people can call themselves atheists. That you're so sure there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're just here, and then there's I don't even know. Like I from I've done DMT, and I kind of what that made me realize is that uh, my consciousness is separate from this meat suit I call my body. It's like mm. a it's a vehicle for this life or whatever. So, you know, what, what, what's out there, especially after I, I pass away. So, yeah, I think that, and I think to me, I feel like agnosticism is a far more reasonable place to, to set yourself up, you know, yeah, like, how like can my, know? yeah, it was my, my mushroom experience just convinced me like a hundred percent that, that there's a God, like it just like flicked the switch. Like I could be talked out of Christianity, perhaps. I don't think so. But yeah. like, but like theism, I'm really, I'm really confident in it. And I don't think I really lose anything by holding that belief. Right. Do you uh, remember that? Do you recall that experience? Like why you took that much, what you saw, et cetera? Uh, yeah, to a degree. I mean, uh, so I took five because I had taken the only time I had done mushrooms before I took two and uh, nothing really happened. Um, and I was in my, like, I think I was 16, 17, something like that. And then, and then I did five just to make sure I did it, having no idea that that was, was called like a heroic dose. Right. Um, <laughs> and so like, I started tripping like crazy. And then in the midst of that, I took another five. You're in Europe. 
like my 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 cousin who was with me he's just like hey do you want this other five and he meant to take later <laughs> and i thought that meant take now oh, um but more it was like uh i started thinking about the concept of of god in the sense of like well like if he maybe if he does exist we just reject him because we don't want to be controlled right right like we want our own free will we think we know what's best and any idea that kind of contradicts that we don't like uh, uh-huh. and so and i really and it really turned me like it turned a mirror on how i was i was really like not the greatest teenager like really rebellious and stuff like that and it really turned a mirror on how i was behaving and uh made me realize that like i felt like i had hit rock bottom like and seeing the implications of my behavior, how it affected me, how it affected the people I care about. Uh, and it was, it, it is one of the most defining moments in my whole life. But at the same time, this like feeling of like being loved, love from an outside yeah. and not just love, but known, right? Like right. warts and all, right? Like all my imperfections laid bare and That's yet great. still yeah. loved and like feeling like this is the beginning of a new life. Like, I felt like after that experience, the person who had been like, I felt like a Start different over. person. From, from, yeah, like I felt like a truly different person from the person who was living my life up to that point. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I'm pretty sure I, I heard you were like a daily weed smoker for a long time. And now you're no. quitting, right? No, actually, uh, I, I could I could tell you about that. Yeah, uh, please. So, yeah, so I... I did it a little bit in high school in the nineties. That's when I went to high school. Um, but like, I wasn't, I was never really a, a pothead at all. Um, and I didn't do it at all in my twenties and into my mid thirties. And then, uh, I can't remember how old I was 35, 36, something like that. I'm turning 40 this year, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a kidney stone, like a really bad kidney stone and it took forever to extract and that like multiple surgeries, and while I was going through that, I had been prescribed Percocet. So I was on like opiates for like six months. Right. And, uh, and I missed, and when I got cut off from those, I missed that euphoric feeling. Uh-huh. And so it kind of got me back into you. And this was a, using cannabis. And that was around the time that like the gray markets started popping up in Toronto, like Trudeau had been elected. So everybody thought, well, it's going to become legal and uh mm-hmm. and it really just snuck up on me it went from using it like you know once a week to you know every other day to every day to multiple times a day uh and i think i was also using it to kind of like get through a, a rough patch in my life where like i because my goal was um because i come from a very broken home was like i wanted to have the family that i was not able to have um so but then, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I have it, I got a job, I have my wife, I have my kids, but then it's like, I'm doing this job that I don't particularly like to maintain it. And then right. the the life you build for yourself feels like a trap. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I didn't really know how to deal with that. So like I, what I thought I, I was going to try to do was invest into my job. And I got into Jordan Peterson, I'm going to make my bed every day and I'm going to, you know, become the become the best version of me I could be, but I was applying it at a place where I never truly fit. And so the more I tried to excel at my job, like it didn't work like the, you know, like I was applying myself and still getting nowhere. And I got super frustrated with it. And like, and I think that I was using weed to kind of like get through that period. And it was only when I realized 
that I needed to start doing stand-up and start investing in comedy that like it became clear that this is what I needed to do and then at that point we became like just kind of like a monkey on my back like I felt like I didn't really need it anymore but I had developed a habit over a few years that it, it became mm-hmm. hard to shake yeah I heard like from somebody that weed is like it's all no worries and then all of a sudden it's all the worries and like that kind of yeah it's like you know oh it makes me creative it makes me think in a different way and and stuff like that and and then it's it 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 stops having anything to offer at least from my perspective i don't try to tell anybody else what to do but like for me it just stopped being able to produce anything effective and like you know it's chewing up my money my wife doesn't like it i'm hiding it from my kids it's like it's i want to be the best freaking stand-up comic i can be and but when i do it i'm lazy and I, right. you know, I don't, I don't do anything and I don't write. And, uh, and it's like, I'm staying up late and like, it's just like the bedrock of all these other bad habits and these other negative outcomes. And like, I, yeah. I knew that I needed to shake it. And so I, yeah, so I'm like almost at two months with that. How, how are you feeling comparatively? Oh, great. Awesome. Like I don't, yeah. Like I wake up like ready for the day. I'm like, I'm writing better. I'm more like, I think I know I'm mentally, I'm way sharper without it. Hmm. Um, so I just, yeah, I just, the benefits that I was hoping to extract from not using it anymore. I, I have seen those benefits. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me today, man. Yeah, no problem.